Open your Bibles up to the book of Acts. And uh, last three weeks we've been in Acts chapter 20, uh, looking at Paul's farewell address uh, as he was on his way to Jerusalem. Well, Paul got to Jerusalem. It did not go well. Uh, he kind of got beat up, and um, he did what God wanted him to do, and uh, testified before um, at the temple about Christ. But then he was arrested, and he was um, tried assassination attempt against him. And then he uh, was taken to Caesarea, and he's been there about three years, where we pick up in Acts 26. So Acts 26, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 9. We're going to kind of pick it up right in the middle of uh, Paul's... Uh, this is Paul's testimony to uh, King Agrippa, Bernus, and Festus. Kind of sounds like uh, something in the Ozarks, doesn't it? Like a crawdad festival or something, but it's not. These are Roman dignitaries, so... Okay. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to the foreign cities. Verse 12. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when, when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Father, thank you for the word of God. I pray that we would not resist it today. Uh, Lord, help us not to be like Paul was early on in his life, somebody who, who kicks and resists and, and throws a tantrum against the, the will and the work of God. But Lord, help us to be submissive today. God, help us to humble ourselves and, and admit how much we need you, how much we need to depend upon you and seek you and love you. And Lord, we need more of you, Jesus. Father, please reveal yourself today by the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in your name I pray. Amen. You might be saying, well, Pastor, if I remember right, back in, quite a while ago, a couple of months ago in Acts chapter 9... We looked at Paul's conversion. We saw uh, him, him, or we read about him, you know, being on the Damascus Road, the light from heaven, and, you know, the, him being blinded, and Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and you're exactly right. We did. That's in Acts chapter 9. What we find here is Paul giving his testimony about that account, okay? Now, now what's interesting is, is that there's lots of new stuff here that we didn't learn back in Acts chapter 9. Now, that's not because Paul's changing his testimony or because one is right or one is wrong, but it's the very fact that whenever you tell this big story in your life, 
Normally, you're going to tell pieces of it, and very seldom will you tell the whole thing in one setting. Let me give you an example. If I would look at my testimony, I would break it down to like four or five big events in my life that happened. There was, there was uh, my relationship with a guy named Scott Carlson, who, who was a pastor in the area, and he, he came to our high school wrestling practice, and, and he wrestled with us for an entire season. And during that time, he was sowing God's Word into my heart. I was very resistant at that time, but, but he was sowing those seeds, okay? Then there was a, a, a kind of a kind of a late night drive on Highway 83, about two in the morning, when 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 God just almost He didn't speak, I didn't hear anything, but I knew what He was saying. He was saying, "Jason, man, you, you you're going one way in your life, and and man, you you got to you got to pick. You know, you you got to either go my way or you got to your your way, but you're at a fork in the road." Then there was a kind of a, a late night thunderstorm in which God really opened my heart to see that I had never repented. You know, I had asked Christ into my heart. I had, I had asked him to be my savior, but I had never turned away from my sins. And then there was a drive on, on the Pence Road one day coming back from, from this guy's house, Scott Carlson's house, where we're in just great joy. Just, I can't explain, but just flooded my heart. And I just, I just, Lord, my life is yours. Whatever you want to do with it, it's yours, you know. So there, there's some big, of you know, kind of, that's, that's how I describe my testimony. Now, I've given that to hundreds of people. Seldom do I talk about all those events. Most of the time I'll focus on one or two of them and, and I'll go into detail about kind of what was going on in my life. And, was, and so in a very similar way, as, as this happens to Paul in Acts chapter 9, we, we begin later on in Acts 22. We're not going to look at that, but in Acts 22, he gives us some other details. In Acts 26 here, he gives us some other details. In Galatians 1, he gives us some other details. In Philippians 3, he gives us some other details. So, so you see what I'm saying? So we're, we're learning more and more about Paul's testimony. Now, some of you are saying, Okay, hold on, Pastor, hold on, hold on. What is a testimony? You, you, you say, I'm not following you. I don't know what you're talking about there. Your testimony is your encounter with Jesus Christ, okay? If you're a believer, if you're a born-again believer, then you have a testimony. And what that means is, is, is you, you were one way in your life. You were convinced of, uh, of a certain way of living, a certain way of being, a certain way of believing, and, and you came to a point in your life where, where you encountered Jesus Christ. Now, maybe not a bright light from heaven like Paul did. That wasn't my experience. Maybe it was... It was God's word. Maybe you were reading your Bible. Maybe you were in a Sunday school class or maybe you were in a preaching service or maybe you had a friend that came over to your house. He said, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about this guy. Let me tell you about what happened. Let me tell you about what he did. Let me tell you about how he rose from the dead. Let me tell you about how he died on the cross. And for the first time in your life, you really encountered who Jesus is. And then, and because you saw who he is, you began to trust him and you turned away from your sins. And what we call that is being saved, okay? And then there's a time after that where you begin to change. He begins to change you. Because of your faith in Him, He begins to change the way you live and the way you talk and the way you think and the way you breathe. I mean, everything about you, okay? And so that's what a testimony is. is basically telling your story of who you were, how you encountered Jesus, and how that's changed your life, okay? That's what a testimony is. And let me just tell you this. As we've just looked at Paul, the Apostle Paul, he is constantly sharing his testimony. In this little little book of Acts, we have it three times. We have three times the description description of what happened that day on the Damascus Road. And then later on, we have it, we have it several more times in Galatians and Philippians. And so what, what I have to know or have to believe is that Paul was a guy who was constantly telling the story of what Jesus had done in his life. Now, here's what I think. You know, I think some of you are going to say, well, pastor, I, I, I've never told anybody that story. You know, I, I don't tell people that story. You know, I, and you, you might, you might even say, I don't because it's awkward. 
And because, uh, because you know, it just seems uncomfortable to me. And it seems kind of funny for me to talk about those things with other people. Here's what I think. I think it's funny for you not to talk about those things with other people. You know why? Now, let me tell you about my own life. That is the biggest thing in my life. Okay? My relationship with Jesus Christ has changed me and defined me more than anything else in my life. The, the, the second most probably important thing that's happened in my life is getting married to Emma Dirks. Okay? And you know what? I talk about that all the time. I mean, I mean if, I, if I'm sitting with a couple and we become friends, you know what inevitably comes out in the conversation? How Emma and I met. You know, I mean, that, and didn't, those of you who are married, didn't that come out? You know, here's how we met. I tell the story about General Music, you know, and, and pestering her and her passing back that picture that said, you're too mean. That's all she wrote. I've still got it. You're too mean. That's what, that's what she wrote on it, you know. I knew it was love right then, you know. And, and I tell that story, you know. And I tell how we, you know, we, we dated in high school and you know, kind of how we, you know, I got saved. And, and, you know, I mean, just the whole kind of story of how we met. And, and if, I, if I'm out with a couple for very long, if, if, if we're friends with, with a couple and we go out to eat with them or whatever, inevitably I'll ask them, how'd you guys meet? You know, I'll, I want to know that story. I want to know the story of how you encountered this person and decided to spend your life with them. Well, it's a natural thing. Does anybody think that's strange? You know, does anybody, I can't believe you tell people how you met your wife, you know? Yeah, I mean, I would never do that, you know? I mean, nobody thinks that's strange. So why is it strange for you to tell somebody about your encounter with Jesus Christ and how he's changed your life? That's not strange. The strange thing is for you to be friends with somebody for 10 years and then never know that story. That's strange, my friends. That, that's awkward. That's kind of funny to me. It's for, for, for you to be friends with somebody and then, them to never know of your encounter with Jesus Christ in your life. So that's what a testimony is. And Paul is sharing his testimony. Now, who's he sharing it with? Well, he's sharing it with a couple guys, a couple people here, King Agrippa, his sister Bernice, and this guy named Festus. All right? Sounds like a great trio, doesn't it? Agrippa, Bernice, and Festus. All right? Now, who are they? Well, Festus is the guy who, who's governing Caesarea, all right? That's where Paul is at. And, and, and he's, he's heard the charges against Paul. He cannot, for the life of him, figure out why Paul's even in prison, you know? Because he doesn't see that Paul's done anything wrong. He, he can't understand why the Jews want to kill him. And, and, and Paul has appealed to, to Caesar to go to Rome. And so Festus has to write something to Caesar. You know, he's got he's to say, here's why I'm sending this prisoner to you. Here's what he's done. Here's the charge against him. Here's, here, here's the legal, legalities of this. All right? But he can't figure out what, what Paul's even really been charged from. Agrippa is, is a king in a neighboring region, but he has a Jewish background. And so Festus thinks, hey, this guy will understand this. And he'll be able to tell me, well, here's the issue. Here's what you ought to write to Caesar. Okay? Now, Agrippa and Bernice are really interesting people. If they were alive today, they would be on the cover of those magazines when you go through the checking aisle at United. Okay? They're really kind of celebrity, kind of... Wacko people, actually, is what they are. Um, very, very, very flamboyant. Uh, they're actually, it's kind of gross, but they're actually brother and sister. But they're more than brother and sister. Yeah, I know, I know. It's not good. It's not good. Uh, that's what history tells us. Uh, they didn't just stay that way. But actually, Ber- Bernice went on to kind of marry several different guys and actually ended up to be the mistress of one of the generals, Titus, in the, in the, Roman, uh, in the Roman Empire. So, you know, those kind of, kind of flamboyant worldly lifestyle. It says in verse 23 that when they entered the place, verse 23, it says, the next day Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp. Okay? You know what great pomp is, right? Picture the night of the Oscars, you know? They roll out the red carpet and the limo pulls in. This time it was a chariot. It was a chariot limo, you know? And they pull up and, and here come Agrippa and Bernice and they get out and they're all in their evening gowns and great pomp and there's, there's people taking pictures and there's fanfare. So that, that's the kind of thing that these people come in uh, to, this, this, to, to this courtroom 
And they, they take their places, and Festus, he's the, the governor guy, he's there. And then here comes the Apostle Paul. Here he comes in his chains and his prisoner outfit, and he begins to tell the story of how he encountered Jesus Christ. You know, they're asking him, okay, tell us the legalities of this. Tell us, tell us your defense of these charges against you. And Paul's like, man, I'm not going to waste my time with that. Let me tell you about my story with Jesus, okay? So he picks up, and I'm going to start in verse 9. There's, there's, we don't have time for all of this, but in verse 9, he begins to tell them who he he was before he encountered Jesus Christ. And in verse 9, he describes it like this. He says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, the word that pops out at me there is convinced. I was convinced. Okay? Now, 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 why that popped out at me is because I want you to understand that there are a lot of people in this world, and maybe you're one of them, that are completely convinced that the way you're living is right. The way you're living is good. You know, that the way you, you think about God and about Christ and about family and about just life is absolutely right. You know what? That doesn't make it absolutely right. In fact, what Paul's saying is I was completely convinced in my mind. I had thought this thing out. I was a religious person. I had prayed about it. But the way that I was living was absolutely wrong. He was convinced it was right, but it was absolutely wrong. You know, there's a thing that, that pilots called, pilots, people who fly planes, they, they call it spatial disorientation. And what it is, is there are several ways that you kind of orient yourself, okay? That you know what way's up, what way's down, what way's left, what way's right. You know, one of the biggest ways is your eyes, right? I mean, I can kind of see you guys. And if all of a sudden you all go on your side, you know what I figured out? I've fallen down, right? You know, I mean, that, that's what I figure out real quick. You know, this shouldn't look this way. You, you guys should be like this, you know, if all is right in the world. And, and, and so one of the ways that we, we figure that out is through our eyesight. Another way is through our ears, kind of our inner ears. You know, you kind of know when you're falling. You know, you have this, you even have a feeling in your gut. You, you, I, don't, I don't know what to describe that as, but you have a feeling in your gut when you're falling. You know, you ever, you ever uh, go up on the swings? You ever, anybody swing anymore? Swing it. Hey, it never goes out of style. It's always good. You know, come on, guys. Yeah. When you swing, you know, whenever you start to fall, what do you have in your stomach? You got this feeling that says, you're falling, dude. You know, I mean, it knows, right? Well, here's the thing. When pilots get up in the air and they're not on the earth anymore, not in gravity, and they get into a cloud and everything is white, you know what they've lost? They've lost a couple of those, that, that ability to, to, to orient yourself. You know, first of all, you can't see the horizon. You can't see any other reference point. And so many pilots will, 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 go, will have spatial disorientation. They don't know what weighs up anymore. They don't know what weighs down. In fact, many pilots, this happens all the time. Uh, it's very deadly. They'll be convinced, absolutely convinced they're going up and they're really going down. And they'll fly their plane 300 miles an hour right into the ground. Happens all the time. Uh, not on commercial liners. They have gauges there. That's why we have instruments. Everybody's like, I ain't never flying again. That's why they have instruments. Those guys in those commercials, they're not actually flying the thing. The computer is. So you're, we're okay. Computers don't get spatial disorientation. You know, I, I, I didn't really understand that until Brother Andrew did a powerful illustration one day. He said, I, he said I'm going to do this illustration for the youth, Pastor. He said, let, let me try it on you and see if it works. And I said, okay. And I, I knew where he was going with it, but he set me in an office chair. And, and I, I mean, my feet were up on it too, so you know, I'm not touching the ground. And he said, all right, now close your eyes. And I closed my eyes. And he starts spinning me. You know, and he says, all right, Pastor, he said, I want you to point to the direction that I'm spinning you. And so I was pointing, you know, and he would change directions on me. And every time I would point to the direction that I was going. And I knew what he was trying to do. He's trying to mix me up so I'd point the wrong way. So I was very careful to take note of when the chair stopped and when it started again. And so I would be pointing, you know, every time. 
And, and he said, all right, you know, and we did that for a minute or so. And he said, okay, pastor, which way are you going? And I pointed. He said, are you sure? I said, yes. And he said, open your eyes. I wasn't going that way. You see, what had happened is I'd got spatial disorientation. I'd lost my ability to know, to feel. I, I was certain I was going one way. I was actually going another. You know the big thing there? I lost any point of reference. You see, my point of reference, if I could open my eyes, I, I would have saw the wall and chairs. And I would have known I'm, I'm going one way or another. And what Paul's saying here is that without Christ... He had spatial disorientation. He had nothing to, to, to orient himself to and say, this is right. This is truth. This is beauty. This is righteousness. Okay? Here's how he describes it in verse 18. He call, he, he's talking about his calling. He says, my calling is to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. You see, with it, without, without orienting your life to Jesus Christ, you, you lose your ability to, to know what was right, what was wrong. Am I, am I living right? Am I living wrong? Am I, am I righteous? Am I unrighteous? And that's exactly the way Paul describes his before, okay? As he's given his testimony, he says, you know, before I came to know Jesus, I was completely convinced that I was doing the right thing. And, and you know what he thought the right thing was, you know? Verse 11, and I punished them often. He's talking about Christians in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities, Okay? Here's a guy who's saying, I was so angry and filled with rage against Christians and I was persecuting them and I was even killing them and he was completely convinced that was right. Now, if Paul, a really religious guy, could be completely convinced that something wrong was right, don't you think that could happen to us without Jesus Christ? Don't you think we could be living in ways that we've convinced ourselves this is right? It's not. That's how Paul describes his condition before Christ. Now, let me show you how Jesus describes it. And Paul, Paul affirms it here. When, when Christ appears to him in verse 14, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, when we were in, when we were in Acts 9, we already covered that, so I'm not going to talk about that today. But notice what else he says. He says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. That's a, that's a really interesting phrase to me. It's hard for you to kick against the goats. Basically, what he's saying is, Paul, before you came to know me, you know what you're doing? You're kicking against the goats. Now, what does that mean? You know, I, I was asking people, that. I have no idea what that... Larry asked me, he said, what, what's the title of your sermon? I said, but it's hard to kick against the goads. And he's like, what? You know, and a goad, look it up in the dictionary. A goad is a, a sharp instrument, like a sharp stick or a pointed stick or like a barbed stick. Okay, and, and it's used to, to puncture, to poke, to, to prick somebody or something. Okay, and the way it was mostly used in Paul's day was the driver of an ox, okay? The driver of an ox would have a goad, all right? Because here's, here's what would happen, okay? He would come out to his plow, and the will of the master was, we're going to plow this field. The will of the ox was, I'm going to stay right here and eat grass, okay? Now, there's two opposing wills, right? And so the will of the master would goad the ox, right? He would, he would prick the ox. He would poke the ox. He, he would cause inflict pain in the ox. Now, what should happen, what should happen is the ox should say, 
Okay, I get the message. The right thing for me here is to plow the field. The right thing is for me to go forward. The right thing is for me to, 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 to put my weight behind this plow and get this job done. But you know what the ox did many times? The ox was like, I don't care what your will is. My will is to stay right here and eat grass. And so the ox would kick against the goads. Okay, that, that's where that phrase comes from. Now, let me just go ahead and put that through your mind. You got a sharp stick poking in the back of your leg here. What happens when you kick the sharp stick? Huh? That doesn't take a rocket scientist, does it? That's, that hurt. That's bad news, isn't it? That hurts, okay? All you do is you drive the sharp stick into the back of your leg, okay? And, and, and so the point of that phrase, it's hard to kick against the goads, is simply this. It's a useless thing to fight against God. That's, that's what Jesus is telling him. That's what, you know, and, and again, picture our, our, our scenario here. The more the ox kicks against that sharp stick, is he changing the will of the master? Probably not. You know, probably not. The will of the master is still, hey, we're going to plow this field, okay? And so all he's doing is inflicting pain upon himself by resisting the will of the master. You're not going to change the will of the master. You know, there's other scenarios that I'm sure you're familiar with that, are, that, that prove this very, this very scenario, okay? Let me give you one. Uh, toddlers, Okay. Uh, Monica's little boy, he, he's not to this age yet, but it's coming, Monica. It may already be here, but you know what, you know what that little guy's going to do? I know he's going to do it because every little toddler I've ever known goes through this, okay? They'll, they'll be coming in, let's say they come into the kitchen, and they're, and they're like, on a cookie, a cookie. And the mom says, no, 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 supper time, we're going to eat supper in 10 minutes, you can't have a cookie. Okay, now what, what happened here? There's the will of the mom, and then there's the will of the toddler, okay? Now, many times, instead of the toddler saying, Okay, mom, that's a good idea. I shouldn't spoil my supper. I won't have a cookie. You know what the toddler does many times? Not only the toddler, sometimes the teenager, okay? The toddler will throw what's called a tantrum. Have you, ever, you, know, you know what a tantrum is? It's kicking against the goads, okay? You know, that's what, that's what a tantrum is. And I've seen this happen with all five of my kids. They will, when they're toddlers, they'll rear back in their tantrum, and they're fighting against mom's will, and they'll rear back, and I've seen this happen. They'll crack their head on the back of the, on, on the, on the wall or the cabinet or even the floor. There was one time in the driveway, I thought Avery had brain damage herself. I mean, it sounded like a melon. You know, I'm like, wow, you know. And, and in all my compassion as a father, you know what I say when my, my, my little toddler throws a fit like that? I said, well, do you feel better now? You know, <laughs> now you're still hungry for your cookie, but you got a headache, don't you? You know, and you're still not getting a cookie. Okay. That's kicking against the goat. Now, some of you are laughing at kids because you'd never be that way. But you know, I've had people come into my office. I'm not naming any names with a hand all bandaged up, you know, that's always a funny sign, isn't it? I'm like, what happened? You know, well, Pastor, I, I got angry, you know. And, and you see, you got angry. What happened to your hand? Well, I, I, I punched the wall, you know. You punched the wall. Did the wall move? You know, no, the wall didn't move, you know. Well, did, 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 did you get done whatever you want to get done? Well, no. Did your hand hurt? Yeah. It's kicking against the goats, isn't it? Well, here's what, here's what Jesus is telling Paul, or Saul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. You know what he's saying? He's saying, Saul, it's a hard thing. It's a painful thing in your life to resist my will. You know what he's saying? It, it's a painful thing to Because, re- you know, here's the thing about God. God doesn't move. Did you know that? Now, we won't tell any of the toddlers this, Okay. Hopefully, hopefully he's not listening. But there are times 
When a toddler throws a big enough fit, you know what mom does? She caves. Take the cookie, you know. You know, then she feels bad all night. I give him the cookie, you know. I just couldn't take it anymore, you know. The kids over there are like, yeah, it's going to work, you know. I found, I found the way here, right? There's times where, where we throw a big enough tantrum and, and, you know, mom gives in. Let me tell you something about God. God doesn't budge, okay? You throw your fit, you crack your head against the wall, you punch the wall, you, you rail against God. You, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get hurt. You're going to have pain. But you're not going to move God. Never, ever will God say, okay, okay, forget it, forget it, forget it. Forget my word. Okay, I take it back. I take back my will. I take back. God's never going to say that. All you're going to do is inflict it. You, you, know, you know one of the most popular images of God in, in the Psalms? The Lord is my rock. You ever hear that? The Lord is my rock. Other times he says, the Lord is my, my, my foundation. The Lord is, is my fortress. The Lord is my strong tower. And all those pictures are pictures of safety and stability. But, but you know what's behind that? The behind that is God's not moving, okay? He's not moving. He's eternal. His word is set, okay? And so when you resist him, when you throw a tantrum against him, listen, you're not moving God. You know, in fact, this is what Jesus said. Look, this, this deal's already set. The gates of hell, he said this in Matthew 16. He said to Peter, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, 11, uh, Paul says, or, or Jesus says, Paul says about Jesus, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Look, God's going to have his way, people, amen? God's going to have his way. His will's going to happen. He's going to be victorious. The question is, are you going to kick against it? Unfortunately, my experience is a lot of people are going to say, yeah, I am. And, and I, here's what I want you to know. Let's just read this very slow. It is hard. Did you hear that? Hard. That verb could be translated painful. It is hard to kick against the goads. There are people that will hear the word of God. I was talking to some folks this week. They'll hear the word of God about forgiveness. Did, did you know that the word of God about forgiveness, to somebody who has resentment in their heart, to somebody who, who, who has a situation where they said, look, I'm not forgiven. I'm not letting go of this. I'm not reconciling. I'm not taking their sin to the cross. I know my sin's on the cross, but I'm not taking their sin to the cross. But I'm going to hold this against them, and I'm going to harbor resentment, and I'm going to harbor bitterness, and I'm going to harbor revenge against this person. You know what? For that person, the word of God pricks sometimes. It goads. It stabs. It stings. They'll be reading their Bible and they'll come to Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. And it says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your... Ow! Ow! That, that, that hurts, doesn't it? I mean, if you got resentment in your heart and you read that passage, man, that, that stabs... Okay, now, now here's what ought to happen. What ought to happen is you say, okay, okay, I get the point, Lord. I get the point. I'm going I'm to go in the direction of forgiveness. I'm going to pull away from the goad. I'm going to say, okay, God, it's hard, but I'm putting their sin on the cross, and, and I'm stepping out in obedience, and Lord, take this resentment away. I don't want to be bitter. I don't want to be unforgiving. That's what ought to happen. You know what some people are going to do? They're going to grind in their heels, and they're going to kick against God's Word. And you know what happens? Nothing happens to God's word 
But it's a painful thing for a person. All of a sudden, there's conviction in your life. And it doesn't end. More conviction, more conviction, more. There's the consequences of sin. And let me tell you from experience, and let me tell you from the Word of God, it hurts to continue in sin. There is consequences, painful consequences for your life, for living in sin. Living outside of God's will is painful. Talk to some other folks this week about purity. Uh, almost every every week I talk about purity. Uh, in fact, I was I was having Bible study with a guy, and we were going through Matthew five, and I said uh, I told him I said, man, let me let me show you some uh, a verse that always grabs me, and it's Matthew five eight in the Beatitudes. It says, "Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God." Man, I want to be pure. And that, that verse continually convicts me. Every time I hear it, there's a, there's a prick, you know. There, there, there's, a, there's a goading by the, by the Spirit of God that says, Jason, man, pursue, pursue purity. Be a man of God. Turn away from sin. Be a person that doesn't live in relationships that, that aren't healthy and doesn't have habits that, that are sinful. And, and it prods me forward and it goads me forward. And, and when, I, when I hear verses like 1 Peter 1.15, this says, As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. I, I'm prodded for it and goaded for it. But you know what some people are going to do? They're going to dig in their heels and they're, they're going to kick against God's word. They're going to say, you know, I don't care what the word of God says. I'm going to live this way. I'm going to continue to do this. I'm going to continue in this relationship. And they kick against the goats. And the barbs of God's will stab at the sensitive areas of sin in their life. And, and let, let's, just, let's just think about it again, friends. It's hard to do that. And the, the reason I'm emphasizing that is, man, it's just a sad thing to see somebody continue to harm themselves. Man, I, I, I've, been, I've been in situations where I pleaded. You know, I just pleaded with the people, please, stop destroying your life. Stop, stop kicking against God's will. Stop kicking against His Word. I mean, just, just why? Why would you want to hurt yourself? Again and again and again and again and again and again. There's a great story about Jonah in the Bible. Remember the story of Jonah? What's, what's God telling? He says, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Preach the gospel there. He's prodded. And Jonah's prod- he hates the Ninevites. That stings when God tells him to do that. You know what Jonah does? He doesn't submit to God. You know what he does? He turns and goes the other way. He goes to Tarshish. Man, he goes the other way. Complete. God tells him to go this way. He goes the other way. How's that work for him? Well, there's a little storm. He gets thrown in the ocean by the sailors. Sinks to the bottom. He thinks this is it. God has other plans. Sends a whale to swallow him. And Jonah has three days of great quiet time in the stomach acid of a whale. And when he comes out, He's not kicking so hard anymore. You know the really sad thing about the story of Jonah? He does go to Nineveh, and he does preach the gospel. I, don't, I think he's done with whales. He's like, man, that hurt, God. So, you know, I mean, he, he's, he's somewhat submissive. But you know, you know the way the story of Jonah ends? You have to read it. It's fascinating. It ends with Jonah on the hill, still kicking against God's, God's truth to love his neighbor. He still doesn't want to love the Ninevites. He's still mad that God gave him mercy. And it just ends that way. And, and listen, I don't want you to be a person. That, that's, what, that's the way your life ends. That's the way your life is. That's the way you live it. Is, is you're still kicking against God's word. Trying, trying to think that that's going to work. 
So who was? Who was Paul? He was a person who was completely convinced he was doing the right thing when he was doing the wrong thing. He was a person who was kicking against the goats, but, but then something happens to Paul. You know what happens to Paul? He meets Jesus. He encounters Jesus Christ. Now, we're not going to go over the, the encounter with the bright light, and we did that last time, but I want you to look at verse 16 when God calls him. He says, But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have noticed, which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you. You know what defines the ministry of the Apostle Paul? What defines the ministry of the Apostle Paul is that he has seen the glory of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, if you have a testimony this morning, there, it's got, there's got to be something in there that centers around Jesus Christ. Nobody is truly saved until they are impressed with Jesus. You hear that? Nobody. Nobody's truly saved. I, I, what, 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 what makes me really nervous, and sometimes it's just people have a hard time articulating the gospel, and I understand that. But what, what makes me really nervous is when I hear someone say, well, you know, tell me about your testimony. Tell me, tell me about becoming a Christian. And they say something like, well, you know, I heard a sermon on hell, and man, I did not want to go there, you know, so, so I decided to go ahead and stop cussing and, you know, I'm, I'm all, I'm only down to one cuss a word a, a week, you know, and, and, and I started trying to do these three things, you know, and so I started going to church and man, it's boring, but I go, you know, and, and I started reading my Bible and man, but I read it, you know, and, and I do these things and that's her testimony. Hey, where's Jesus in that? You know what that is? That that's a sad person trying to live by the law. That's not a Christian. In every Christian's testimony, there's going to be this. I came to see who Jesus is. And I came to see that he's awesome. And I came to see that he's glorious. And I came to see that he's everything that I need. And I came to see that, that man, without Jesus, I, I can't do anything. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 is a verse we come back to a lot here at Lincoln Avenue. And it says, And we all with unveiled face are beholding, that means seeing, the glory of the Lord. And we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We look at this verse all the time. And the reason we do is because it just describes the Christian life. We behold, we see the glory of Jesus. And as we see the glory of Jesus, you know what we do? We're like, man, I can trust him. I mean, I, I, I want to follow him. And he, I can depend on him. He won't let me down. Man, he died for my sins. He rose from the dead. I want to listen to that guy. And, and faith is developed by seeing the glory of Jesus. And the more that we see him, the more that we trust him, and the more of our life we hand over to him, and the more we become like him. That is the Christian life. And so when Paul talks of his testimony, he talks about seeing the glory of Jesus. And he talks about how Jesus is continually revealing himself to, to, to Paul. And, and the more he knows about Jesus, the more he is transformed by the glory of Jesus Christ. Okay, so you got, who is Paul? Paul was a guy convinced he was going the right way when he was going the wrong way. Who was Paul? He was a guy that was kicking against the word of God and the will of God in his life. And then Paul was a guy who came to know the glory of Jesus Christ and was changed. And then finally, who was Paul? He was a guy who got purpose and promise from Jesus. Look at verse 16. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. Listen to that. For this purpose. Let me tell you, guys, guys especially, men in the room, there is something in you that desires to live a life that is significant. I believe God put that into a man. I believe you put it into all people, but especially men. And I remember when my son was seven years old. And I've been telling my son this since the time he was, he was a baby. 
You know, I've been, I've been praying for him. I want you to be a man of God. I want you to be a servant of God. And I've been training my, ki- my, my son to say, look, you know what a man is? A man who's, is a guy who takes care of his business. He takes care of his wife and he takes care of his kids and he takes care of his spiritual life. And so I remember when he was about seven years old, I was leaving on a mission trip or Falls Creek. You're going somewhere. And, and I sat him down and I said, all right, son, I'm leaving. You're the man of the house. You need to realize that. And I said, I want you to work hard to take care of your mom and take care of your sisters. And I had some hilarious phone calls the rest of the week. Because my wife would call me and she said, man, he insists on turning on and off the sprinkler. You know, evidently that's like a man's job. He's like, mom, I got it. You know, he said one time we were driving down the street and he said, the sprinkler is still on. He said, mom, stop. I got to turn off the sprinkler, you know. But the funniest thing was, is that he insisted on, he insisted on picking out his mom's clothes. Now, I just want you to know, I do not do that. Okay. I don't do that. Half time, I don't pick up my own clothes. But the only explanation we can figure out is, is that he, his mom, he knew his mom took care of him. And what that meant was she laid his clothes out. And so I told him, you're the man, you take care of things. He's like, I got to pick out mom's clothes. The even more amazing thing is my wife wore what he picked out all week long. It's amazing. You know, she's just that way. You know, she's like, okay, you picked it out for me. I'll, I'll wear it, you know, striped pants and polka dots. Sure. All right. You know, but here's the point. Even inside of that seven-year-old boy, there's, there's this, this desire. I'm going to be significant. I want to take care of business. I don't have a purpose in this family. Listen to this. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you. Jesus says, I, I reveal myself to you for this purpose. You know, you know what some people think? Some people think the only reason that God saved him is so that they wouldn't go to hell. That is so small. If Jesus reveals himself to you, you you know the purpose in that? The purpose is so that you will spend the rest of your life telling other people who Jesus is. You say, well, why would I do that? Well, look at the results of it. Verse 18. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. I love this. They may receive forgiveness of sins. Listen, and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. A place, an inheritance is what that means. A place. Man, I got a place in the kingdom. I got a place with God. That's awesome. When I was 18 years old in May, I don't remember the exact date. I've just kind of told you earlier about there's four or five things that happened. But I really believe the pivotal time was that thunderstorm night. And God really spoke to me. He just spoke to me. He said, Jason, you never repented. You've been playing church. You've been going to church with your mom and dad. You don't trust me. You don't follow me. You don't listen to me. I I didn't hear this, but I mean, now that I know it, I was kicking against the goats. I, I knew what the Bible said, but, but I justified the way I wanted to live. I kicked, constantly kicked against the Word of God. And all it did was cause me pain. And all it did was hurt other people. Hurt my parents. Hurt me. And that night, I just got a glimpse, just a glimpse of who Jesus was. Man, I wanted to follow Him. I wanted, I wanted to live for Him. I wanted Him to rule my life. That's my testimony.
Do you have a testimony? Do you have a testimony? Do you have, do you have who, who you were? You know what I hate to hear? I hate when I, when I talk to people and, and, and I say, you know, tell, tell me about your life. And they say, well, I've always been a Christian. Well, yeah, I say, what do you mean? Well, I just always have, you know, since birth. It's not what the Bible says, dude. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, they might just be trying to say, you know, since I was little, my mom taught. You know, I don't know what they mean by that. But here's what I know. You haven't always been a Christian. Because the Bible says we're all, all of, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Do you have a testimony? Has there, has there come a point in your life where, where you've seen that Jesus is everything you need? You can trust him. You can follow him. You can give your life to him. He won't let you down. Man, I hope so. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for, for dying on the cross for us. Thank you for revealing yourself. Thank you for coming and, and being born uh, of a virgin, living a sinless life, showing us your power. Uh, Lord, showing us that you can raise the dead. You can, you can uh, control the weather, God. You can heal the blind. God, you can do anything. Thank you for showing us your glory. And Jesus, you're who we need. You're everything we need. So Father, please uh, please open our eyes to see more and more of you. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.